We're now recording. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, as we continue in the book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one had heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it then that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's one of the better lines, I think, in most, in, in a lot of scripture. Um, they've had too much wine. Um, the sermon tonight is entitled Too Much Spirit in our series on Acts, because it's really about what some people think when we walk with God as Christians. Now, we'll get to that. So let's start here. Acts chapter 2. It is a familiar passage. Um, if we've been in the church for a long time, for majority of our lives, many of us know that this is the kind of this like pinnacle where things change, where the Holy Spirit comes, where, where Christ's promises are fulfilled, right? And what some of us don't know, actually, you know, we get a day off actually here in Europe, of course, every year on Pentecost. Many people don't know what Pentecost is. Um, but I've found too that many Christians aren't even aware that Pentecost, the reason all these people were in Israel was because there is a big festival. Um, Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. It was in early summer and it celebrates the first fruits of the wheat harvest, right? So God commanded the Israelites to set aside time for Thanksgiving. It was called a feast of weeks. Um, and you can read all about this in Numbers chapter 28, the book of Numbers chapter 28. It says that this is the day of first fruits. And it's a time of festival and Thanksgiving. It's sort of like in the autumn, how we celebrate the harvest festival as a sign of thankfulness. Uh, at the end of the harvest, we celebrate, but the Jewish calendar, they also celebrate it at the beginning of the harvest. The very first of the grain that was picked each year was celebrated and given thanks to God at this time called Pentecost. And if you want to read more about that, you can, as I said, Numbers 26, but then also Leviticus chapter 23 mentions that a lot in the Old Testament. But so here we are with our disciples 50 days after Jesus was resurrected, and, and we know that what we just read, the Holy Spirit comes. It's a blowing of a violent wind filled the whole house, and, and, and this giant pillar or tongue of fire was separated and went to rest on each of them, and they began speaking in tongues. And as a reminder, this was not just, of course, God's plan, but a fulfillment of prophecy through John the Baptist. Remember in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, uh, the words of John the Baptist, this is Matthew 3, 11, said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit 
and fire. And so here it is. It's here. With fire, with coming of the Holy Spirit, these promises have come true. The Spirit has come upon the disciples and the believers. And it has come as fire. Now, why fire? Um, if you read through scripture, it's clear God really likes fire. I think God is just like a, a, every kid in the universe, right? He just likes fire. Um, I mean, the most obvious example that comes to mind is probably the burning bush with Moses. But if you read through scripture all over the place, God uses fire to speak to people, to get people's attention, all sorts of things. And scripture tells us in the prophets that fire is also a purifying element, isn't it? A refiner's fire. Fire is also a, a metaphor and an analogy in scripture of cleansing and purifying. And so if we think about it this way, it's pretty cool, right? That God has sent the Holy Spirit as a purifying agent, a refining agent. And this is exactly what Jesus says, right? If you remember back weeks ago, I don't remember exactly when I talked on it, but in John chapter 16, you can go read it later. Um, I know I'm giving you lots of other things to read, but that's okay. John 16, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come and the purpose of the Holy Spirit will be to convict us of sin and lead us to righteousness. And so this analogy, it gives this, this description of tongues of fire. I, we don't exactly know what they looked like, but pillars and columns of fire, fire came and rested on each of the disciples. It represents purification. It represents what the Holy Spirit can and would do, that it would refine the disciples, that it would purify the disciples. It would lead them to righteousness and convict them of their sin. And another cool thing I want to point out with some of this wording here and how this is such a powerful fulfillment of scriptures is what it says in verse 3, that the Holy Spirit came to rest upon the disciples. And the language here in the Greek sort of denotes, from things I read, sort of denotes that this was a permanent rest. This was a coming and just being there. It wasn't a temporary stop, but it's resting with the disciples, that the Holy Spirit was there permanently. And this is our story. This is the story for all of us. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and as we go through Acts, we'll continue to reference back to the Gospels, but especially Luke, that as we read through the Gospel of Luke and now into Acts, they're interrelated. And, and we see, as we read through this, we see the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. And if we choose to follow him, if we choose to believe the things he said, if we choose to, to believe his claims that he was the Son of God, that he would send us a helper. We also see just before this in Acts chapter 1 that if we believe that, then we are then called to be what? We are called to be witnesses. We are called to be witnesses to the world of the things we have seen and believe. And so scripture tells us that when we believe by faith, you and I are given the very grace of God. That through Christ's death and his resurrection, that we have been reconciled to God through his grace. And now we see that because of that, the very Spirit of God comes to rest on us as his disciples. And as the Spirit of God rests on you and on me as believers, the very purpose of it is to purify us as with fire, to lead us to righteousness. And through all of these things, we are forgiven and we are given a new life with the Spirit of God going forward. This is what happens. This is what we believe. This is the good news that we are reconciled and made clean.
And that's this first part of the passage I want us to see tonight. How do we get this spirit? By believing, by being reconciled to God, by believing the truth of Jesus Christ. And so if anyone has ever wondered, well, how do I get the Holy Spirit? That's how, by believing, by believing in who Jesus was and said, and, and, and what I just said about reconciling to God. If we believe that, then Jesus says that we have the spirit. So that's the first thing I want us to see. And the second thing I want us to see is, is what the spirit of God does. That's the second part of our passage. The first thing is how do we get the spirit? But now we see what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. See, because if we go from here on out, from Acts chapter 2 forward, we see the narrative shift to what the Holy Spirit is doing, how the Holy Spirit is working through the disciples in the world. And last week, I talked about discernment and casting lots, if you remember, at the end of Acts chapter 1. And I mentioned that we no longer need to cast lots, and this is the reason. After they casted lots to choose another disciple, God then sent the Holy Spirit so now the disciples would have wisdom through the Holy Spirit, teaching us the way we should go. And so what is the first thing, right? This is what we're going to look at next. What is the first thing the Holy Spirit does? Where does this godly wisdom take the disciples? And this is verses 5 through 13. They all start speaking in different languages. Languages from Jews all over the ancient world who had come to this festival, who had come to this Pentecost festival, this festival of weeks, this first fruit of the harvest. And, and they're speaking in different languages. And we don't know if they were speaking the languages or if the Holy Spirit was like changing the languages midair as people heard it. We don't know, but what we know is it was a miracle. And in verse 7 tells us that the people were utterly amazed. They were witnessing, they were preaching, they were telling of the great things of God. It says in verse 11, they were declaring the wonders of God in the tongues of all these different people. And it's a pretty broad range. I mean, if you read those countries and look it up, it's all the way down to the Horn of Africa, out to, you know, past the desert to, you know, modern day Iraq and Iran, up into Turkey, all the way over to Rome. I mean, this was a big area. And all of these language, the Holy Spirit is speaking through the disciples. And in verse 12, it says yet again, that all those who heard it were amazed. Well, not all were amazed, were they? No, some, maybe this is the cynics. Maybe this is the ones who are doubters. Maybe this is ones who just, you know, had a bad morning. I don't know. <laughs> but some say, the scripture tells us that some made fun of them. This great miracle is happening. Something wonderful is going on. And these people felt it appropriate to make fun of them and say, no, no, they've just had too much wine. Some people thought the disciples just had too much wine. Just as if we look back at our Old Testament passage, where Naaman thought that Elisha was foolish. Right? Naaman had, had all this gold and silver and gifts to pay for healing. He came to Israel, to the king in Israel, and said, help me. I have all of these things. Give me healing. And Elisha gave him simple instructions. He said, no, you don't need all that stuff. Just wash and be clean. I love in the story, too, of the Old Testament reading, how he doesn't even come out to meet him. He just sends a servant. Right? He's like, you're complicating this, man. You just go and wash in the, in the Jordan River. And what's amazing is this Holy Spirit was at work in Elisha as a prophet and as a man of God. And when the Spirit moved to heal Naaman or Naaman, he at first thought it was foolishness, didn't he? 
He said, why wouldn't I just go home and wash in our own rivers? They're surely cleaner than these rivers you have here. He thought it was foolishness. Same as the people who thought the disciples drank too much wine when he came into contact with something miraculous or the option for something miraculous. He chose, no, that's silly. But the wisdom of servants in our Old Testament story say, well, are you sure? And so what does he do? He, he says, well, hey, I have leprosy. What do I have to lose? He goes, he washes, and he experiences the power of the Holy Spirit. He first thought it was foolishness, but then he experiences the power of the Holy Spirit. And what is his response in the text we read? He says, now I know there is no God in all the world except Israel. His foolishness became wisdom. His doubt was turned into praise. Why? I believe this to be true, that the Holy Spirit is an experiential teacher. I want you to hear that again. The Holy Spirit is an experiential teacher. It teaches us through experience and leads us through life. Because you know what, church? Let's just be honest. We love knowledge. We love attaining knowledge and holding on to it. This church, IPC Zurich, is, is an educated church. It's the most educated church I've ever been a part of. If you're Swiss... You've had access to some of the best schools in the world for your whole life. If you were from someplace else, you had to have a reason to get here. You had to have a degree, an expertise, most likely at least a bachelor's, if not a master's or a PhD, or you came here to get a PhD or a postdoc, some sort of expertise in some field. Church, we are very educated, and that's a good thing. It's a gift from God, but we love knowledge and understanding. We love to be able to, to put things in rows and put things in boxes and, and hold on to knowledge and understanding. But let me tell you that the Spirit of God is hard to understand. The Spirit of God is hard to put in a box and, and hard to, to have all of our knowledge around it because the Spirit of God is an experiential teacher. Right? The Spirit of God seems like foolishness to those who have not experienced it. I mean, even think of yourselves, those of you who became Christians later in life, until you experienced the presence of God, you probably thought it was foolish. It was crazy. Like these people who witnessed the disciples saying, they've had too much wine. It makes no sense. But imagine if you were walking by and you're from a small village in, you know, Eastern Africa and Ethiopia. You've made this trip all the way up to Israel. For this festival, or you're one of the Jewish converts from Rome, and, and, and you speak a special dialect or whatever it was, and you hear someone speaking your language, and you experience the power of God, and you're moved in your heart, and you say, this is amazing. See, the Spirit of God moved in Acts chapter 2 and did amazing things, but not everyone will believe. Not everyone will immediately believe the Spirit of God, because to many, it's foolishness, as I said. And this is scriptural. The Apostle Paul said this to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, the Apostle Paul writes, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. This is why the Holy Spirit seems crazy to outsiders. 
This is why some people think it's too good to be true. This is why some people thought the disciples were drunk. But not everyone did. Some people were drawn to it. Some people were amazed. Some people heard their own language being spoken. They felt the presence of God and were drawn into it. And so for you and for me tonight, as we think about this, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Where are we on this spectrum? How do we process this? We know that we have the Holy Spirit if we believe in the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. So what does the Holy Spirit lead us to? Well, there's lots of different things it could be. Um, And as we go along in life, we need to learn these things. This is part of God's calling in our lives. We need to learn what the Spirit is and what the Spirit is not. And as the book of Acts moves along, actually, we'll see in coming weeks how the Holy Spirit moves, how the Holy Spirit works. We'll see about the good things the Spirit of God does. And we'll see about the scary things the Spirit of God does. Because there are times when the Spirit of God is a little bit scary. But it's also comforting, and we'll see that too. But for us today, the point of this narrative, I titled this message, Too Much Spirit, because that is how people who have not experienced the Spirit often see it, as foolishness, just like as if we've had too much wine. And this is very much a continuation of last week's message about discernment, if you remember that. See, we looked at the disciples last week, and we talked about how they were meeting together, how they were reading scriptures with Jesus as the fulfillment, and trusting the Lord is in control. Let's just take those three things we talked about last week and think about how we can also experience the Holy Spirit in those things. The Holy Spirit confirms and is involved with these tasks as we practice them in our lives. It's hard to define it, but how many of you would say that when you've met together with other Christians, when you've prayed for one another, when you've tried to encourage one another in difficult times, that you have felt the Spirit of God moving? Or how many of you, when reading the scriptures and and studying the word of God and seeking God's truth, have felt the spirit reveal to you God's truth, have felt the very word of God sort of pierce your heart? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit teaching you experientially. Or how many of you even still, as we mentioned, our dear friends who have lost a loved one, when we are afraid or when we are scared or when we are hurting, Remember that the Lord is in control and we feel an overwhelming sense of peace or calm or warmth. That's the Spirit of God revealing himself to us. Through experiences, through walking through life, we learn about the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is an experiential teacher, friends. Consider again the the Naaman from the Old Testament. The first time he was hesitant, he said, why should I go wash in the river? But I assure you, after being healed of his leprosy, Elisha asked him to do something again. He would do it, right? And so for you and for me, I I just want you to stop and think here before we end tonight. How has the Holy Spirit been teaching you? What are the experiences you've had in your life? What are the things you know to be true? And how has God revealed himself to you in those? That if you tried to explain it to someone, they would say, you're crazy. You've had too much wine, but in your heart, you know it to be true. You know, I was never healed from leprosy. (laughs) Um, But I can think of a handful of times in my life. I was thinking about, um, you know, the phrase in English, be careful what you wish for. Um, When I was starting out as a youth pastor, I was 21, 22 years old. 
15 years ago now. And uh, I was very left brain dominant. Right? My faith was all about knowledge and knowing and having all my answers straight. I just graduated college. I thought I had it all figured out, as many young people do, right? Um, and things started happening in my life. I would see things or feel things I couldn't explain, or things were happening in my early days of, of ministry that I was really struggling with. And it was hard because I would talk about the Holy Spirit. I would talk about Jesus and God, but the Holy Spirit was, was something that really seemed at the time hard for me to explain because I wasn't experiencing it. I couldn't feel it. And, and I would talk to people and some people are telling me, well, you have to do this, Sam, or you have to pray this way, or you have to do this. And it, and it just wasn't happening. Anyone else ever had that experience? I mean, you feel like it should be a certain way, but, but it wasn't working for me. Someone else's thing wasn't working for me. But, but then I remember there was this moment and, and I cannot explain it. And to you, it may sound a little bit crazy, but I remember the first time I didn't pray. I didn't plead. I didn't just feel like I was talking into an empty room when I prayed, but I actually felt like I talked to God. It was odd. <laughs> um, I remember it honestly, like it was yesterday. And I can actually show you where it was. Um, and, and part of this is just because I miss this place. Um, I can actually show you where it was, as weird as this sounds. This is a place, you can see my screen now, this is a place in Maui, in Hawaii. And this is a place called the K&I Peninsula. And at the top of this peninsula where my mouse is right here is a camp. <clears throat> and we were at a young adult camp here. And so I'm the youth pastor, but I'm also at a young adult camp. And after worship and gathering with people, we were praying. And on this place, and this is a very special place to me for this reason. In this place, I actually remember going out in the middle of the night and talking to God, but really letting God have it in the sense that I was angry. I remember feeling like God wasn't there for me. I remember God feeling like God didn't hear me, that whatever it was. But right then and there, I remember feeling the very presence of God. I remember in that moment being, as the scriptures say in Acts chapter 2, utterly amazed at what that felt like. And I knew I wanted more. And so in that moment, I remember thinking, I can't explain this. Even now I'm struggling to explain what that feeling felt like. It felt like I was actually talking to God. But that honestly is the best wisdom I can give when we talk about the Holy Spirit and, and how the Holy Spirit is experiential is, is that you and I, we need to be desiring to talk to God. We need to be praying and asking God, Lord, speak to me each and every day. It's the best advice I can give is pray for the spirit to come in your life. Pray to experience the spirit. Ask for it. Desire it. Own it. Because it can be anything. The experience is not universal. What someone else's experiences with God may not be your experience. And that's okay. But church, know this, that the Holy Spirit is ours. The Holy Spirit has come. God, through Christ, has blessed us with the gift of the Holy Spirit. So not only we are reconciled to God, but that the Holy Spirit is here to walk through life with us. So for you and for me, for all of us together, what do we do? Well, in the book of Acts, we're going to see the great things the Holy Spirit can do. As we read ahead in the coming weeks, as I mentioned, there are so many great things in here, how the Holy Spirit moves and works among the disciples and the people of the ancient world. 
Some are turned away from it and some are drawn to it. But that's the very nature of the spirit. When we are walking with the spirit, when we are living and, and, and growing, some people will think we just have too much spirit or we're too churchy or maybe we've had too much wine. But the important thing for you and for me is to ask yourself what these people asked in Acts chapter 2, verse 12. What does this mean? If Jesus is who he said he is, then we have the Holy Spirit. What does this mean for our lives? It can mean a lot of things. But are you praying for it? Are you actively seeking the Spirit? Are you actively asking the Spirit to fall down on your life and give you creativity and, and, and give you compassion and give you love, give you hospitality, give you the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control? Are you asking for these things each and every day? Church, I encourage you, what have you experienced? How has the Holy Spirit teaching you each and every day? We'll see all sorts of things in the book of Acts in the weeks to come. But for you tonight, it's a simple thing I want us to consider. If you believe you have the Holy Spirit with you, are you experiencing it? It's okay if your answer, by the way, is no, or I'm not sure. But that's when we pray for it. That's when we gather together. That's when we encourage each other. That's when we go to scripture and we read scripture, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal truth. That is when we gather together with friends who are rejoicing, friends who are mourning. That is when we go into these areas and we ask the Holy Spirit to teach us. Remember, the Holy Spirit is an experiential teacher. And the Holy Spirit wants us to know him. The Holy Spirit wants us to know his works and how he intervenes in this world. Because remember, the Holy Spirit is not doing things alone. The Holy Spirit is doing things with us. And I know I say that a lot, but just consider that again, that God loves you so much that he wants to work with you in this world. And the avenue of that work with us is the Holy Spirit. And so, friends, let us be people who seek the experience of the Holy Spirit as we learn and grow. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. God, I thank you for these disciples. I thank you. Um, God, I thank you that they were open to the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I pray that we would be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God, that we would remember your promises that you have sent a counselor to lead us. And so God, may we look for your spirit and all we say and do. May we seek the Holy Spirit's experiential teaching to lead and guide us through life. Thank you, Lord, for sending your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son to first reconcile us. And then Lord, for sending your spirit that we would work with you and through you. Lord, may your spirit fall down on each and every one of us as we go about our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, hey, as you consider these things and as you meditate on these things, let us sing together about these things. And let us sing together, Spirit Fall. <laughs>